weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Thanks to the two Johnnies, it's Tuesday the 31st of January, finally, and this is Game On. Coming up today, it's transfer deadline day in soccer and Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan will talk us through the big moves. Big moves. Didn't see too many big moves in there, Marie. Matt Doherty going to Atletico is a big move. All right, that's a big move. Stand up for Matt Doherty. <laughs> in Gaelic football, the CCCC calls for an All-Ireland club final replay between Glenn and Kilmacud Cropes. What would the club say? Damien Nodder shall try and bring us up to speed. Plus, Greg Allen on Shane Lowry's split from his caddy while in racing. There's a record 12-year ban for one Irish trainer. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. <laughs> On 2FM. So it is the start of the Six Nations or Six Nations Week. I would prefer to call it the Dublin Racing Festival Week, but it is a Six Nations Week. And this morning, Warren Gatland, now back in charge of Wales, has named his side to face Ireland on Saturday afternoon in Wales at 2.30pm. Lee Halfpenny, at 34 years of age, is back at full-back. Joe Hawkins, who only has one cap, will play at first centre. Rio de Wire, with three caps, is on the left wing. He has, of course, got Andrew Baird, Alwyn Jones, Justin Tipuric and Falatau all in the pack, along with Gareth Thomas. It's a strong side of a mixture of experience and youth. Marie, it's... I don't know. Andy Farrell won't name his team until Thursday. Warren Gatland is out Tuesday morning. Why? Why come out Tuesday morning or why do they have why, a way of doing this? Either. Why wait for Thursday or why come out Tuesday? What's the difference? I think maybe the processes that they have and have been doing for quite a while that they actually don't tell them until the Thursday. And then, obviously, Warren likes to let his players know earlier in the week. So I'd say it's just a personal choice. Alan, if you were playing, would you prefer to have known on Tuesday playing soccer or does the anticipation of maybe getting in, maybe not getting in, waiting until Thursday, does keep you on edge in training? Does it keep you sharper? Yeah, from my experience, Ruby, it does keep you on edge and it does keep you sharper. And I would have always been told that the majority of the clubs that I would have worked with, it would have always been the last day mm-hmm. before the match, so your final training session, the manager would name the team, you'd know... They the might run through a bit of pattern of play, a bit of shape on that morning, and you would know going home that, that day that you're training, or that, sorry, that you're starting in the match the following night. And I would have always preferred that. Some managers then might wait and name the team mm-hmm. an hour and a half before, and that's kind of that's when you are on edge and you're thinking, Am I playing? Am I not playing? I would have always preferred the manager that named the team, say, on the Friday and you're playing Saturday. Ruby, even with the kids' teams now, like we don't find out on a Friday whether the kids have made the squad for the weekend. So, like, they're 10 and they're leaving it till the very last minute to make sure that they do well in training so it's obviously a performance thing well, that's cause you're it drives me club. crazy that's because you're in a big club Marie if you're down here where we are you're <laughs> definitely in the squad anyway you're hoping it's 15 going to turn up to get on the bus will you have a team that's the, that's the debate around here yeah she's she's mixing it with the big boys now Ruby oh, yeah, that's yeah. the thing is my 10 year old in the squad I'm the same the local team in Port Marnock we're happy to have 12 every week I'm always uh, panicking then with lifts like that's the problem you're trying to figure out the logistics of it then when they it's, make the, when it is make interesting it. though with um, with the rugby kind of as you said the processes or whatever it is like they, they seem to do that more than any other mm. sport. I know the Gaelic as well I never understood why you would name a team in a programme and then it's a different team that comes out I don't really get that like what are you trying to hide how that works or what's the thought process behind that but I know with the rugby they do kind of do it differently to the other sports yeah. don't they and soccer do it Later, obviously, like yeah. before kickoff, you're all we're always here waiting for the team news, but it does come out a lot earlier in rugby, and then you have your captains run, so they have their way of doing things. It's just a different, 
Well, I guess in a way, it's 48 hours in horse racing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, sometimes we're waiting to see. Well, you were obviously waiting a lot more than I would be because I only tune in and out of racing, but just seeing what uh, what horse the big riders decide to pick, mm. you know, ahead of Cheltenham or ahead of the big racing festivals. You have to decide 48 hours before it kicks off, or that's when the declarations are done. For, they're done at 10 a.m. on Thursday for Saturday, and then the riders must be on the horses by 12.30 on Thursday. So it's basically 48 hour declarations in horse racing. and I don't know, I preferred, I preferred knowing as early as I could, to yeah. tell you the truth. Yeah, GA is a funny one, all right, because like you often hear of players being told like just before games. So I remember the All-Ireland final replay in 2013 when Shane O'Donnell got in mm. and he ended up getting up those three goals, but he was only told beforehand that he was... Yeah, and sometimes that can be just yeah. kind of on a manager's instinct thinking yeah. the best way to deal with a certain individual yeah. because had he told him on the Thursday or Friday, he would have been thinking about it, apprehensive. But what about, about the player then that has been thinking they're going to start like that's the player that I feel sorry for so they name a 15 and then they're taking somebody out and they've let them believe for the whole week that they're going to be playing but you'd like to think a manager it, uh, without that going public he has spoken to that player as well so that the player knows like rather than springing that on him at half two in the game of four o'clock and he's furious going around the dressing room <laughs> and the other fella smiling from air yeah. to air so. but Alan I think that is what happened with Claire in 2013 because there's a lovely picture afterwards of um, Dara Conan and Shane O'Donnell sitting on the pitch together and they were the players that ended up swapping in and out for each other okay. and there's pictures from um, it's from behind and you can see the two of them and there's it's the d- dusk and all the gold glitter and all is on the pitch and it's one of those pictures I'll always remember but I did like obviously delighted for Shane O'Donnell but felt so sorry then for Derek Conan but still he he got on with it like well, I, I, you probably have to get on, mm. but I'm sure he was furious inside. But again, that goes back to management. It, it, it was obviously proved to be the right call, mm. but imagine the stick the manager might have faced had it not yeah. worked, you know, on the on the flip side of it. So that's often a decision a manager takes on off his instinct and he feels. And of course, sure, it worked to unbelievable effect with O'Donnell. Mm. He scored a hat-trick, did he, in that yeah. fight? I did. Yeah. I was often halfway around the race wishing they could swap hearts. <laughs> <laughs> How, how soon would you have known, Ruby? You're saying there 48 hours with the declarations, but would you have known a week, two weeks, three weeks in uh, advance? Not, not really. Um, you'd kind of be leaving decisions as, as late as you could, but I often made a decision at 48 hours, and by the following evening, the skies might have opened mm. or rain that was supposed to fall hadn't fallen, and different things would have changed. And before you even go race in the morning of the race, you're thinking, I'm already know I'm riding the wrong horses. So I would have loved the soccer one. An hour before kickoff would have done me to decide which ones I was going to ride. <laughs> who's going to get in who's going to get out it's interesting isn't it all the different dynamics like we've gone yeah. through three or four yeah. different sports there and all different different processes no, no anyway back to the CCCC and what's happening appeals and no appeals and who's going to make a decision there's going to be more objections and there's about five more rounds of this process yet, process yet like <laughs> Well, I'd say it definitely has a way to go and there's going to be appeals after today's decision. Damien Lawler's with us on the line and he might have a a clearer view or or have some inside knowledge on what both camps are thinking. Damien? No, you're all right, unfortunately. Uh, You're you're both right. And I just want to know, is it the bank holiday yet? Yeah. um, uh, Unfortunately, this this saga saga could go on for a while yet. Um, It's it's not a saga anybody wants. and, and we are where we are. Uh, the the meeting last night was was um, no legal representatives. No, it wasn't actually. I believe it was okay from from my understanding, Ruby. And I believe there was no legal representatives last night. It was just club members. And uh, I think the the meeting lasted about an hour. Evidence from both clubs was presented to the CCCC, um, and, and they stayed on afterwards to to deliberate what was happening. So I think we've come an awful long way. I didn't even think on a personal level. 
I didn't actually think Glenn would object initially, despite the fact that they were well within their rights to. And maybe I'm more of a traditionalist in terms of the, the, the GEA kind of traditions and habits of the past where a lot of clubs might not have appealed. But then again, it's an All-Ireland final. Um, but I just thought that Malik O'Rourke's comments at the end of the game whereby you know, his own opinion was that they had lost it on the field or whatever. But look, society's changed. The way of thinking has changed. The stakes are high. Um, and, and again, just picking up on that, I would fully expect now Croaks to, res- to respond within three days. I, uh, I can't see, I just can't see them at the moment. Like, I, I'm sure there's differences of opinion within that club as well over what they do next. Um, I think some people would be of a mind, go and play it and win it again and just show everybody because you know they were the better team the first time around, and then secondly, you know maybe if you if you feel you owe a duty of care to the players and management, there'd be some staunch people there saying no way we won that fair and square. Yeah, there were sixteen players on the field. Uh, that was uh, not our mistake. Uh, um, and as we know, players are away travelling, and and as we also know, uh, players from the Glen, uh, one player is getting married on uh, February the eleventh as well, guys. So I think if there is going to be a rematch and a replay. Uh, it can only be done in my opinion looking at the calendar maybe the weekend of March 11th and 12th where there's a break in Allianz Football League and the hurling league comes in but I just I just can't I still can't see a replay in my own head um, I suppose a lot will become clearer now over the Croaks have three days from the time they were notified this morning they were notified around 10.30am this morning um, you know clubs got wind uh, an email was issued out to them uh, with a little bit of context with the official ruling and, and I think uh, six six forty four is the famous rule. That's what the decision is made. But Ruby, you're right, and Marie, you're you're right. It's certainly not over yet. The two avenues left are the Central Appeals Committee. Uh, that could be next, and then the dreaded DRA Disputes Resolution Authority could come after that. And I suppose we just had to wait stage by stage to see what the repercussions and the fallouts will be. I, I do have a personal opinion down the line that you know Croaks won't replay the game. Um, the cup could be possibly taken off them. You'd be handed to the Glen, and Glen could hand it back on 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 actually a sportsmanship grounds. I do believe, as 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 absurd as that seems, that is a possibility in all this still. But unfortunately, I can't see this being resolved for a few weeks yet. There's there's processes to go through. I think absurd is a really good choice of word there, Damien, because this saga is now nine days on. So. Why couldn't the GEA have dealt with this last Monday? Are they not in charge of their own sport? What was the whole need for an objection? Did they not run the rules? Or did they just kind of yeah, leave everyone else so run them and we'll come in and out when we want to? No, so so they're basically they're basically bound by their rule book is the short answer to that, Ruby. And, and they couldn't act on it until one of the clubs involved uh, actually made an objection. And a few days had passed and Glenn still hadn't made the objection they had sought clarification but again the rule book 644 uh, part 1b and I'm so sad that I even know that <laughs> but uh, the rule book would state that uh, an objection has to come from one of those clubs before they could act on it now people would say you know GA should have got involved in that straight away um, I think really it stemmed from uh, if, if, if everything had been done fine and if no mistakes had been made unfortunately human errors were made uh, but I think the 45 would have been retaken had the match officials, uh, had the referee been alerted to the extra players on the field. That could have been dealt with there and then and you'd, you'd have had none of this. Uh, unfortunately, you have. They are bound by their own rulebook, Ruby, and they've had to follow that stage by stage. And that that has probably resulted in the maybe process being drawn because you have to allow three days between 
each landmark stage on that process as well, be it uh, an objection, a counter-objection, a hearing, and now I would have imagined, I would have imagined Crokes will appeal it. I mean, I can't say certain, but they have three days to do so. So it's step by step in the rule book, and the rule book has proved to be an absolute northern star at times, and it's proved to be frustrating at times. But whatever way you view it, it has to be followed until all those rules are changed. There is a general, there is a bigger issue here at hand. Leaving aside the two clubs. Um, I've, I work as a sideline reporter as well like, and, and, and I'm sure you guys have been on sideline as well I know you have Marie and Alan you have too um, you know the, the, the way that substitutions are, are interacted in and out that needs to be looked at again and I think the, 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 the GA a few years ago tried to have an entry and exit point um, and now you have a situation whereby you know in games with so much going on timekeeping administration uh, trying to keep uh, respective management teams in check because they have gone out of order at times. Um, I think that linesmen and fort officials have been put under immense pressure to make sure that everything is accounted for. Uh, and you've had situations whereby uh, a 16-man is on the field because the player coming off has, hasn't actually left yet. So that really needs to be looked at. You cannot enter that field until the guy or girl you're replacing is, uh, is gone off the field in front of you and that should really be strictly enforced and it has to be looked at all over again well, Damien I'm so glad you brought that up because that's my take from all this obviously it's so messy mm. but the one thing I said here even last week chatting with Marie was anytime I go to a Gaelic match there's just chaos when the substitutions happen and fellas it's almost like a roll on roll off type situation whereas obviously yeah. you look at soccer and it's the whole holding up the board and I'm not saying bring that into GA but certainly there has to be some sort of regulation on it so that you never find yourself in this position again yeah and I think like you, you come to the situation there Alan where you know Gaelic games are fast moving by nature like hurling is the fastest field sport in the world and like uh, you do everything in your power to keep the tempo high and, and keep the intensity high but you've got a situation there in pre-season competitions whereby nearly unlimited subs were allowed to come in and out and uh, you know that's only pre-season but you still have had crowds up to 10,000 people at those competitions and they expect certain standards now by and large uh, I, again I've seen what I've, I've seen, there's a culture in the GEA at the highest level and I suppose maybe it's there at grassroots level too uh, you can see it in parents infringing and, and maybe mm-hmm. at the elite level then uh, of, of inter-county you can see the pressure that linesmen and fort officials are under so basically both management teams are man-marking each other and if there's a decision gone against them they're in the fort officials or linesmen's ear now uh, when Danny Tallon took that 45 for Glenn the linesman was actually in with him in trying to place the ball so there's so much stuff going on and uh, I think it, it needs to be looked at again properly Alan certainly you should not get on that field until the player you're replacing is off the field and it's a it's a pretty simple rule when you put it like that but people have to change their culture too they have to respect that you know and I think unfortunately, you've seen it yourself like in big big games anything is done to uh, to stop to stop the clock or to, to wind down the clock or to waste time <laughs> Damien, including I, tactical substitution I'd say that in any games we had our mother's mother's game on Sunday and at one stage we had 16 players on the pitch and there was panic and everyone was like we're doing a kill McCode on it we couldn't even figure out who'd gone on and off but we knew we had to get the player off and I think if that hadn't happened we wouldn't have really been we'd have been like oh yeah we get him off the next play but I think there will be a change yeah. now in attitude to this and it always seems to be the case with the GA it has to go nuclear before there's a reaction in ways I see there's so many thousands of games played each year like that that go swimmingly and it's it's, the, it's just the <laughs> high profile ones that draw attention to this and, and this this you can't get more high profile 
uh, than this one. But you did have a situation a couple of years ago where Mayo were playing Dublin and um, I think Rob Henley kicked a, a free or a free or 45. My memory has left me, but he uh, he didn't convert it. But that had to be retaken because the match official copped that because actually Mayo had an extra man on the field, so it had to be retaken and he put, and he put it over, and and that's the thing. Like you're hoping that your army of officials can cop everything on the day, in 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 the real tense, in the in the present tense. That didn't happen on All Ireland final day, and and what's after playing out now is it's unfortunate. It's 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 horrendous, really, for everybody involved. I don't think anybody wants to be in a situation like that. And as you can see, life has moved on elsewhere. The Derry boys are back in. Mm. You know, like uh, the, everybody has moved on with their lives now. But but the two clubs are, you know, they're dealing with this now for the next few weeks. And I was speaking to one of the officials from one of the clubs, and I won't say which one, but he's very very just downbeat over the whole thing. Um, and and uh, yeah, look, everybody could have done without it. It's like still can't believe it's not even the end of January yet, and, and we're. We're in the middle of another uh, saga like this. So, yeah, there's a big clear-up needed in, on this issue alone, I think. I mean, every event or every, whatever we want to call this, experience, there should be a taken from it, a learning from it even, or whatever way you want to put it. Look, the GA has a rule book, and I'm not even going to slag rule books because the one in horse racing is even bigger than the one in GA. So, I mean, right. it's so confusing, it's unbelievable. But when you get to the GA, will there be any rule that comes in here to make things quicker. Like, human errors are going to take place. You, the linesman or the referee, whoever didn't cop the 16 player, of course the 45 mm. would have been mm. ta- would have been retaken. It wasn't. Human he- errors are always going to happen. But will the GAA yeah. change their attitude to make things happen quicker? Is there an appetite within the GAA for a change of appetite to make things happen even? Yeah, and it's an interesting question. I, I think there is. I think like there, there, there's are, there are areas of the rule book that need a complete forensic uh, audit at this stage. Um, some of the stuff there, some of the rules and diktats are, are maybe are, are there an awful long time and might be might need to be looked at again. Um, you have a strange one here, Ruby, whereby every club official I spoke to from the respective clubs over the past couple of weeks, or last couple of, I suppose nine days, they're they're amateurs, Ruby. You know, they have day jobs, they have families, they're trying to run a club, they're trying to get the lotto in. Um, and, I, and I know that you're talking about the top level whereby there are full-time professional employees. That's a fair enough. You're also dealing with, with the... With the uh, they're in the minority, those people. Most of the association are volunteers. And it's just that the association has led to an, a, a very, very high standard in most areas. But, yeah, these people have their work lives, they have their family lives, they're trying to run the club. You know, it's, it's nearly the same seven or eight people in every club keeping it going. And uh, I think that that will that will kind of you know go against what you're saying a little bit going forward. The three the three day objection rule. Okay, you look at the soccer associations, and Alan would know much more about this. Um, you know, decisions are, are are made very very swiftly and very very quickly. Um, but but I was looking at Evan Ferguson's tackle the other day, for example, and they've got the best of technology and they're all full-time employees mm. and I'm still waiting to see wh- wh- how they got that so badly wrong um, and, and how long it took them to actually own, own up to it and they're a full-time professional outfit uh, as regards the three-day objection in some cases it's good for people to have that distance to get to gather the evidence um, and and to try, try and reflect but I, I take your point it can lead to an exhausting frustrating process but you say, for example, the CCCC last night. There may have been one or two full-time members on that committee. The rest are all amateurs. They're all volunteers. You know, they, they may get mileage expenses to drive up to Dublin for the hearing, but that comes on the back of a, of a day's work as well. And unfortunately, that's, that's the harsh truth, Ruby. 
And the other thing that's worth adding as well, Damien, is that it's very hard to make change in the GA because there is so many people that have to have so their many say. Units. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's Congress yeah. and all that. But we won't get into that. And, and, and Marie, and Marie, the final, the final thing is like it's it's been said many, many times, and it's almost been proven with this case that the the, the low the, the low level when I say low level, the grassroots rural club, some people in that club and delegates and members almost have as much say as the GEA at the higher echelons. Now, you might laugh and scoff at that, but it's true. Yeah. Like, they, they all feed into a higher body that feeds all the way up. Uh, the money and the funds that are allocated goes all the way back down. And you've just seen, you've just seen with two clubs, I suppose, at a very, very intense scrutiny, h- how it's after showing up that, you know, the GEA club c- can object mm-hmm. and can appeal yeah. and, and can go to the... And we're, this, will, this will go all the way to the DRA, potentially. So... That just shows what you're saying, Marie. There are so many units. They all actually do have a say. And sometimes, you know, mm. you, you have to take the, the bad side of that as well. Yeah, and change can take years. Uh, just a word on Park Mahoney retiring from Waterford. Only 30, Damien. Seems so young to, yeah. be, to be hanging up the boots. Yeah, and, and Philip went early too. Like, Philip went very early too, which which I, I scratched my head about. But, like, he was such a class player, mm-hmm. but he had his time done too. Uh, Porrick's only 31 in May. Uh, he's been on the go since around 2007, I think, with the Miners. A really good minor team that came through Munster. Um, he would have won a couple of national leagues. Um, the last two years have been fairly tough for him, Marie, to be honest about it, with injuries. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have no inside information on this at all, only that maybe he's found it maybe a, a, I don't know maybe he's he's not happy to, to come back and try and push the body to get to the level where it needs to be I wouldn't imagine Davey would have wanted him to go too far away uh, but he's been in in really great form for, for, for his club and they're going for 10 in a row uh, now next year but he'll be a big loss and he's the last link with, with Davey Fitz's first Waterford team so it, it's kind of sad in a way to see him go and, and again you're looking at the age he's leaving at and I make the point with with such demands being placed on young GEA players from under 14 upwards in development squads. And SNC is now the buzzword all the way up, particularly in hurling where people are trying to catch up with Limerick. Um, so many demands being made on young players' bodies uh, that by the time they get to 27, 28, 29, they're almost thinking about jacking it in. When I started off in this job, they were jacking it in at 37, 38, mm-hmm. 39. So that that's that's a that's a leap now, you know, and it's a it's indicative of the demands that are being placed on them, and it's five six days a week, and maybe on your rest day you're living the life of an elite athlete in terms of rest, recovery, and nutrition. Anyway, so yeah. so look, it's sad to see him go, but he'll have plenty to aim for with his club. Anyway, still that's it. And when you throw in the uh, club, no doubt about it. It's all year round, really, for the likes of him. Uh, Damien Lawler, thank you so much it for is, that. Yeah. We'll be talking to you, no doubt, over the next few days as this uh, okay, saga guys. sets to run and run. We're going to take a break now, but stay with us though because it's transfer deadline day. Game on on two FM. Welcome back. Before we move on to transfer deadline day, I've put Alan Cawley on the spot here. <laughs> I said to Alan Cawley, if it was a Champions League final and Real Madrid were playing Liverpool in the final and there was 30 seconds left, Real Madrid had a free kick, there was an extra player on, Andy Robertson was on and he wasn't supposed to be. The kick goes nowhere, but uh, Real Madrid lose, Liverpool win and they had that extra player on for 30 seconds. What would you say? But the chances are Andy Robertson might be in the line of the ball because a free kick you're only going head height to obviously avoid the wall or him. Yeah. Whereas in Gaelic he was kicking at 60, 70 yards But if he doesn't bother going off he just stays on. He's like I'm going to stay and defend this free kick. What would you say? Well, I, put, I, put it, I put it this way. So I ride a horse in any race in the world and it wins a furlong. Wins by a full furlong. 
but I carry one point one pounds less than I should. Now yeah. that didn't affect my horse from winning. I would have won anyway. But you just get turfed out. Because okay. they are the rules. Them the rules. So what are they, them is the rules. Yeah. So that is the issue here. But who, what is but, the rules but, in the GAA? But Ruby There is no rules, obviously. <laughs> but if you carry that weight, if that was an intentional kind of thing on your behalf where you were trying to gain an advantage then you turf him out but if you made a genuine honest mistake like that referee made or the linesman because he didn't intentionally say to kill McCud you know what you bring on an extra player there and we'll just say nothing for a few minutes it was a genuine honest error it didn't have any bearing on the match whatsoever the, the best you're team being, still you're, won you're being what very you honest the wrong, what, have you hit the what wrong about the player that came on how come he didn't say to somebody by the way you're going off well, that's my point again about the substitutions where it's roll on. There's no structure to it. It's chaos, especially the, at that what point. What if you hit the wrong ball in golf and it's an, an innocent mistake, but you've you've broken the rules? Tough. You is out because they is the rules. I, like, we're nine days into this and it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on to uh, transfer de- deadline day. Fergal Brennan is with us on the line. Fergal, we're going to start with Matt Doherty because I think when we consider <coughs> everything that's happened over the last few days, this is the one that has taken everyone by surprise. So um, Fabrizio Romano, who who is the king of transfer deadline day. Here we go, is what he says all the time. He said that Matt Doherty has signed the contract to complete his loan deal to Atletico Madrid from Spurs. Where did this come from? Yeah, I agree. This has firmly landed in kind of fever dream territory this morning. Uh, When I was planning for work today, this definitely wasn't one that I was expecting, but it, it does seem to have some legs to it. It's gone relatively quiet this afternoon. That could be good, that could be bad. It could mean that the talks are going on and the paperwork is being signed or it could mean that it's that it's fallen apart. I'm, I'm a tiny bit concerned that there's not been any noise around it probably since the, the here we go situation with, with Romano. From Spurs' perspective, Jed Spence has already gone out on loan. He's gone to France to, to Rennes and they are looking to bring uh, Pedro Porro in from, from Sporting Lisbon and effectively that would leave them overstaffed at, at right back and, and that would mean that a move is on the cards. I'd just like to get a bit more of an update. I think it, as a rumour, it's kind of got lost in the noise a little bit today. Um, I definitely think it does still have the potential to happen. Um, and as we saw with, with Kieran Trippier, when he went to Atletico Madrid, won La Liga, Diego Simeone, Simeone had him arguably playing the best football of his career. I know he's doing really well at, at Newcastle now, but this could, in a very, very strange way, be a positive for Matt and a positive for Ireland. Al, you're friends with him. Ring him there and see the foreign ringtone on his phone. <laughs> he didn't tell me about this last week when I was messaging him. I tell you that much, but um, it's unbelievable, really. And for him, I think it's absolutely fantastic mm. if it happens. I watched the game, obviously, in the cup at the weekend, and he started the match. But you could see the dejection on his face as he got taken off again. He brings on Emerson Royale, and when you look at the pecking order at Spurs in that position, as Fergal outlined, he's down the pecking order. And I don't even think Conte wants Emerson Royale, hence why he's bringing in Paro. So I think for Matt, if Paro gets done and he brings him in which it looks like it will happen I think it's brilliant for Matt to get out and play with whatever club but if it's Atletico Madrid it's absolutely incredible for him Fergal before we move on to the other signings and since you did mention um, mention Ireland there is there any update on Evan Ferguson and his injury? Um, the the kind of off the record comment that uh, the the athletics reporter for for Brighton has has said his name escapes me at the moment is that it's not as bad as first feared. Him leaving the game at the weekend on crutches was a precaution, a sensible precaution. Roberto De Zerbi was quite angry, as you'd expect after the game. Um, but the final tests haven't been done. The the full update is probably expected later on this week. But the the noises coming out of of Brighton and and journalists that cover Brighton on a regular basis is not as bad 
as first feared. It'd be very unlikely that he plays this weekend. Um, but considering some of the concern was this was the end of his season, it doesn't look to be, to be that situation now. Alan is also friends with his dad. Any update, Alan? <laughs> um, I was chatting to Barry Saturday at a, at a match, a pre-season match, Shelburne, and it's just indicative of Evan and Barry not even a mention about the young lad. It's just <laughs> no kind way. of yeah. Just I just said, look, he's going great, and that was it. Kind of yeah, I'm happy enough and whatever. And just he was off going up to look at an underage match that I think he said his nephew or someone was playing. And but they're obviously over the moon. But that's why I think Evan and we've spoken about it in terms of since he's burst on the scene why he will do well and why everybody has so much mm-hmm. faith in the fact that he has such a great chance because the people around him and behind him will guide him so well um, and that was Barry that was his update on Saturday <laughs> as much as I got out of him but to think what happened on Sunday then and, and he was playing quite well in the match mm-hmm. and it was a horror tackle but hopefully he bounces back uh, he has time on his side as well in terms of uh, the games coming up especially from our point of view at Ireland so hopefully he does bounce back See, Alan, that's where you and I fall down. We're not just nosy journalists like Marie. We don't make these phone calls and root out all this info. We just, we just play along, so we Maybe do. Maybe you have me saved as do not answer, I'd say. <laughs> anyway, Fergal, Joe Cancelo is going to go to Bayern Munich from City, and that could leave them short on fullbacks. Yeah, this is not maybe as surprising as other rumours because it's been in the works for 48 hours instead of, of 24. But from the outside looking in, it's, it's a big shock. Del Cancelo at the start of the season would be one of the first names on the team sheet with Manchester City. He's been superb for them. He can play right back, he can play left back with, with very little drop-off. There's clearly been an issue between himself and Pep Guardiola, particularly since the World Cup um, when he's come back from, from Portugal duty. I don't think other than the uh, the derby against United. I don't think he's done 90 minutes for City in the Premier League since he's come back in. And he's been annoyed about the fact that he was ever-present, he was a crucial player, and he's been rotated out. And Guardiola obviously can hide behind that. But when you're a top player like Yao Cancelo, you, you take a little bit of it on the chin. But if you're missing game after game after game and you're not playing and you're not getting off the bench or anything, you, you're going to become annoyed. And, it, and it's become a bit of a flashpoint between the two of them because... Guardiola is very firm in these situations. If your attitude isn't what he anticipates or expects, you're out. And I'm a big believer in if the manager isn't in control of of these situations, then you're never going to be successful. But it doesn't mean that top managers don't make mistakes. That has happened in the past with Guardiola, Klopp, going back to Ferguson in in previous years. And and this one looks like a situation that Guardiola's really acted firmly because of a situation that he needed to deal with but he's lost a quality player. Zinchenko's gone to Arsenal in the summer. Kyle Walker is is, is not getting any younger. Rico Lewis is, is a good prospect. But Nathan Ake's in, in good form. But Gal Cancelo is, is, for me, the best left-back in, in, in the world. And, and now he's gone to strengthen a team that is also pushing for the Champions League at a point where City need, need their experienced and, and quality players because they're playing catch-up to Arsenal in the Premier League and they still have that dangling over them that they've, that they've not won the Champions League. And Al, they're still in the Champions League, they're still in the FA Cup and they're still five points behind Arsenal. Has Pep got this right as regards his squad and the depth of his squad? He only has 19 senior outfield players now. Yeah, I think that remains to be seen with what's coming up, Ruby, in terms of the competitions that you said there. But 
it just outlines as well the top managers and everything that Fergal said there if you're not playing ball with them you're out and I think that's brilliant management Ruby that's why they're the best and you can say well I, I bet Fergal mentioned there the odd time to make a mistake but I bet you if you were to go back through all, all the different dealings in terms of players that they might have uh, shifted out or whatever I bet you to get more right than to get wrong and that's why they're so good you look at Cancelo in the early part of the season I agree with Fergal he was absolutely unbelievable and to think three, four months later if anyone suggested he'd be gone in January you probably would have laughed at you so it just goes to show whatever's gone on since the World Cup Fergal mentioned a flashpoint that definitely something's gone on behind the scenes and as I say if you're not playing ball you're not buying into what Guardiola wants you're out and whether that means um, he might regret that in four, five, six months time he feels right now that it's the best thing for him for the, t- for the team for the club and Cancelo's gone it's, it's huge news really Yeah it's hard to believe it's also hard to believe that Chelsea are about to spend 120 million euro on Enzo Fernandez Virgil it's just phenomenal money yeah, and uh, speaking as someone who's been doing the tax return in the last week, I can tell you that uh, there's going to be some creative financing done by Todd Bowley as well because this is a situation where they've got to play by FFP rules and uh, Premier League rules in terms of how they structure this deal because they've spent a huge amount of money in the summer. They broke a Premier League record and then they've spent already over £100 million so far this month. I thought this was dead in the water a week or two ago because Roger Schmidt, the, the Benfica manager, came out and said, it's done, they wouldn't pay the release clause, that's the end of it, he's an important player for us, etc. They've gone again because I think there is a sense with Chelsea that the season can get away from them um, in terms of winning something or at least getting into the top four. I think they that's the feeling from Graham Potter that they need another player. Obviously, there's issues with N'Golo Kante's fitness, he's been spending a lot of time on the sidelines through injury. Jorginho, who's almost on the verge of moving to Arsenal, and even if he didn't, he's going to go in the summer anyway. There's two big parts of the midfield that are going to be leaving. Um, it, it remains to be seen whether it will get done. Um, huge deals like this, and this would break the Premier League individual transfer record if it does go through. They don't normally happen in January, and they don't normally happen this late. Um, but Chelsea will push all the way up until uh, the close of play tonight I think Do Chelsea need more than just him though Alan? Well, I certainly, yeah, I think they do need more than him, but I certainly think in that area, that's one that they, they absolutely need to fill, especially Jorginho will be gone, and I think his best days are behind him in terms of his Chelsea career, but you look at Kante as well and what they've missed with him, and you look at that midfield area at the moment, and they're strengthening around the, uh, the area of central midfield, but that's the one position that I still think they need to fill. It's crazy money, Ruby, but that's kind of uh, Chelsea's fairy tale world that they're living in with these owners and we look at the money that they've already spent prior to this and to think now they're going to um, add on to that with £105 million it's, it is crazy but he's a brilliant player a world class player he would only strengthen the team and that midfield area so if they have the money and they're able to get it done they'll get it done Fergal just on the WSL the Alicia Russo story and the fact that Manchester United have rejected that 500000 bid for her from Arsenal is this dead in the water now? Yeah, I think United have been have been very strong on this. All the noises coming out of United and a, a colleague who covered the story for the BBC in the last couple of days, he said that United have effectively put the word out that they won't be bullied by the kind of um, big spenders of the WSL, which are Arsenal and Tottenham. Uh, Russo is a fantastic player, regardless of the amount of money that could have changed hands to, to get the deal done. I think United were really determined not to get rolled over on this because they've they've got big plans of 
of challenging the, the bigger sides in, in the WSL and, and winning things and becoming a force in women's football. And I think if, if they had have allowed this move to go through, it had been a huge blow to them in terms of what she adds to the team. But also this idea that when Arsenal and Chelsea come calling, the other teams just hand over their best player. And I think this is a really big stance from them to say, not this time. That's obviously in the WSL, but back in the Premier League, Alan, Christian Eriksen's out till April. Eric Ten Hag has signalled he won't be replacing him today. Yeah, well, regardless of all the transfers and, and the bits and bobs that have been done, I think this is the biggest news of the day, Ruby. Eriksen being injured, and we obviously seen the tackle uh, from Andy Carroll, and he hobbled off the pitch, and I think he left the ground on crutches. So he's been so influential in that midfield area. He's been absolutely fantastic, Eriksen. And to think now they'll miss him up until, I think they're talking about the end of April, early May. Now, there is talk that they may go in for Bayern Munich's uh, midfielder, Sabitzer, from what I'm hearing in the last hour, on loan. And I think he was seen left... Um, leaving Munich Airport there as well, well a couple of hours you see him leaving Bayern Munich but you won't ring Matt Doherty see if he's gone to Bayern Munich <laughs> <laughs> well I've seen it on Sky so there you go I'm not friends with Sabitzer so I yes. can't fill you in but who knows Ruby but um, no I think they might do something with him purely off the back of Ericsson's injury and that news that was announced earlier on so uh, he'd be a really good signing experienced player similar enough to Ericsson he'd slot into that midfield area, area and complement Casemiro as well and still allow Fernandes in that kind of free role that he has at the moment so um, it just goes to show as well what Ten Hag thinks of the backup to the midfield area and obviously we've seen this here with McTominay and Fred play, being more bit part where I think they belong to be honest with you and we've seen that over the last two or three years with everybody suggesting that but I just think if they lose Ericsson which they have it looks like such a loss for the next couple of months but I don't think Sabitzer would be a bad replacement very experienced player obviously did brilliant at Leipzig hasn't played as much to Bayern Munich but I think he'd be a good signing for United in the short term Fergal anything else brewing anywhere? Uh, I would say between now and the end of um, play probably not Uh, there's one for Southampton uh, Kamaldine Suleimana uh, potentially coming in to sign from them. He was the fastest recorded player at the World Cup, if you want a, a little kind of random like stat to, to throw in alongside that. Uh, he's meant to be coming in from Wren. Uh, other than that, I think particularly in terms of the big teams, Liverpool, I would say no. Man City, I would say no. Um, United, I think the Savitz is a potential, but only because of that injury. And it just shows that one injury can change things. Um, I think from from the top four, or who you'd anticipate to be in and around the top four, um, it'll be Arsenal and Jorginho. And if Chelsea can get Fernandez done, but there's a lot of work to be done. Um, Jorginho's already got the Arsenal shirt on. We don't know if Chelsea have been able to fly a shirt out to Fernandez to get him to stick it on for a few pictures. So <laughs> I still think that's that's going to be difficult to get done. But Jorginho for, for Arsenal look pretty much signed off. Don't even ask me to go out and get a jersey <laughs> on, Matt. <Arden. laughs> uh, I will ask you to keep us posted, though. Al. Uh, Fergal, thank you so much for joining us. Alan, no stay with us, though, because we're going to be asking Ruby about the Dublin Racing Festival in mm. a while, and I'm sure you'll be curious uh, as to what he has to say on that. We're going to take a quick break now, though. Game on on 2FM. Well, welcome back to Game On. The DRF for the Dublin Racing Festival is on later this week. But before we get to that, we will go with the breaking news today, which was released by the IHRB when it revealed the sanctions it was imposing against Ronan McNally and a few other individuals around a long-running case that was... I suppose adjudicated on in December, but Richie Forrest, the letter to the Racing Post, joins us on the line. Richie, Rona McNally has received a 12-year disqualification from Irish Racing and charged €50,000 in costs. Were you surprised at the extremity of these sanctions? 
Yeah, hi Ruby. I think you'd have to be Ruby. Um, you know, I've never seen a, a sanction of that extreme extremity. I don't think you have either. Um, there's no doubt. I think I don't think anyone would argue that Ronan McNally didn't have a case to answer. Um, and obviously, there's individuals associated with him that have come out in in, in the wash of the case and the investigation. Um, but it's hard to to, to reconcile the the extent of the. Um, sanctions with the evidence that's been put forward. Ultimately, it, it looks like a lot of it is circumstantial. Um, now, you know, on the one hand, you know, you can see um, in, in the round, if you like, what the IHRB have been working with here. Um, you know, they have retrospectively found horses weren't allowed run on their merits. They have ultimately retrospectively disqualified horses um, for improvement in form, which was ultimately what triggered the investigation in the first case. Um, but, you know, so like uh, to go back to the start, like, uh, there is a case to be answered. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But where is the precedent for a sanction that precludes Ronan McNally from working in racing, working in a racing yard, attending a race course, um, for 12 years, it's very hard to see how that's, that could be described as, as fair and proportionate. Um, as I say, I don't think anyone would argue that he didn't have a case to answer, but you know, it's very hard to reconcile a 12-year disqualification with, for example, Stephen Mahan's m- most recent uh, welfare sanction, which was ultimately three and a half years suspension of his licence. Now, that means he can work in the yard, he can go into re- Excuse me. He can go into race courses, um, and he can be employed within the industry, despite the fact that his breaches were to do with serious animal welfare issues and neglect of a number of horses. Um, Rona McNally has been found guilty of some very serious charges. We're talking here, ultimately, the headline stuff. We're talking about fraud and conspiracy, if you like. Um, those words pop up, um, but at the end of the day, you know, you don't want to be very naive to accept that he, he is the only one, you know who is inclined to, let's say, keep a little bit to himself with his horses. I think he was probably guilty as much as anything of um, leaving a lot of people with some very red faces um, and taking things to the extreme. But again, it's just very hard to reconcile the extremity of the sanctions with everything we've seen before. Would you agree with that? I would, but Marie has a question yeah, for you. Yeah, Richie, can you just bring it back a little bit and maybe explain to us, the people that might not be as familiar, just exactly what happened, what he did, and why you think that he got such a long disqualification? Um, he's ultimately been found to have um, concealed a horse's true ability um, with the intention of ultimately um, executing significant gambles on the horse when the horse was well handicapped. Um, he was found to have passed on inside information, you know, pertinent to the horse to Kieran Finnessy, who is a handler down in Cork. Um, Kieran Finnessy is alleged then to have passed that information on to his father and brother, Liam and Aaron, and they then used that um, to, to bet on the horse accordingly, whether it be to, to lay the horse on a day when it, it mightn't win and it didn't in, indeed, or whether they were going to back it on a day it was expected to win. Um, but even at that, you know, there is, we haven't been given anything to suggest that Ronan McNally benefit, was benefiting from passing on that information either. So that's another thing that's kind of been left hanging there. We don't know to what extent he benefited from any of that activity. Um, and also then you had the case of David Dunn, who was another licensed trainer, um, and he had a number of horses for Ronan McNally, three of them. 
and ultimately he and McNally were convicted of um, concealing McNally's ownership of those horses while they were in Dunn's care. Um, now, David Dunn has been suspended for two years. He's had his licence suspended for two years with 18 months of that suspended. So he's effectively suspended for six months. Um, so that's kind of the background to it. Um, we all watched um, these horses winning when they were heavily backed and we all could see that, you know... <laughs> We could all see what was happening. I mean, there's no two ways about that, and that's why I say there's no doubt they had cases to answer here. Why has he been hit with such a large sanction? It's very hard to say um, when you look at the evidence that's been presented, which, as I say, it's fairly circumstantial. Though they've tied a lot of threads together. There's no doubt that there was an awful lot going on here, but it's just very hard to see how you can justify excluding someone from the game you know, totally for 12 years. It looks like they've been, they may have tried to set an example. Um, but if this is the road they're going to go down, there are some very big sharks in the in the sea that could be tackled. I mean, it looks a bit like sm- small fish in a barrel are being shot here. So does this set a precedent in the direction they're going to head? I would wonder if, if that's going to be the case. I, I I completely agree with you, Richie. And when you look at this, so much of it revolved around just four rules: rule two and two, two and three, two seven two, two seven three, and all mm. the sub uh, subsections of those rules. Mm. But the more you read the report, I spent two hours reading it today. There's a lot of padding in there, and a lot of offences were tied together. Uh, to look at 12 years of a disqualification, I agree with you. There's a case to be answered, but punishments have to meet the crime. I'm not sure it does here. No, the, the, the phrase you come back to is, is fair and proportionate. Um, it's very hard to argue that a 12-year exclusion from any licensed premises or any race course is fair and proportionate. Um, you know, it just, it's kind of mind-boggling that they've come down this hard on, on someone. Um, so, it, 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 you know, he's going to appeal it. I spoke to him today briefly. He, he didn't want to comment at this stage, but he's adamant he'll appeal it, um, and there's no doubt he feels like he's been... Um, singled out so it's going to be interesting how it's all going to play out because you just wonder if this ultimately ended up in a court of law I'm not saying it will I'm just saying if if it ended up in a court of law could you justify on on the basis of the evidence that's been provided could you justify a 12 year exclusion you just wonder wouldn't you You'd have to wonder. I think you've got that right this case is going to be appealed and will rumble on um, and we will follow it with a bit of interest I'm afraid now Richie has explained it far better than I can I read (laughs) all 68 pages of the manuscript and trust me thank you Richie that was as good a synopsis as anybody is going to get I'm afraid it's a tricky one it is that cheers Rich alright all the best before we move on from Racing Ruby, the Dublin Racing Festival or the Six Nations weekend start, whichever you like to call it, we go to Dublin Racing Festival weekend. Is, it starts uh, first, Marie. It starts at one twenty. The, the Six Nations doesn't start at half two, so first up, best dressed. Great. Well, what can we look forward to? Uh, I think the first will be a cracker, me. The Nathaniel Lacey and Sol- um, Solicitor's Novices Hurdle. You have American Mike going to take on Goodland, Key de Paris, Sando Keeglan, and one of the English challengers we've all been caught out for, for Nigel Twiston Davis. That'll set the tone. You could have Lossy Mouth and Blood Destiny in the Spring Juvenile Hurdle before you have Appreciated, Bambridge, Dysart Dynamo, El Fabiolo, San Roy, and Field Or in the Arkle. Marie, this just rolls on. Galloping the Champ in the Paddy Power Irish Gold Cup. That's all on the first day. On the second day, then, you will 
still have Blue Lord in the Labrock Dublin chase. Obviously, that race with the Clarence House run last weekend is missing the likes of Editor de Geet, Edverstone, Edward Grameen, but you can't have everything. Of course, you're going to have Stateman and Vauban taking on Honeysuckle on Sunday, and you'll have Facile Vega to wrap it up. Marie, it is, in, it is class racing from start to finish, two days in Leperstown. If you're watching the rugby, so be it, but you can watch that on replay. I'll I be love watching that. The racing. It's class racing. It is unbelievable. I'll be glued to it on Saturday, but I'm in London Sunday. You can watch in London too, Alan. It'll be on there. Yeah, well, I might watch before the match. I'm going over to Spurs and City. She'll have your sky go on your phone. I won't be watching. (laughs) Uh, Well, we know that. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, Greg Allen is standing by to talk us through what's going on with Shane Lowry after this. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. Now, news broke a little bit earlier that Shane Lowry is on the lookout for a new caddy following a split with his own caddy Brian Bow Martin Greg Allen is with us in studio Greg it's it's a breakup essentially yeah, it's a breakup. Good story by Brian Kill this morning in the Independent. Um, you know, he obviously uh, got the intel, and uh, this is a breakup. It's a mm-hmm. real relationship. They were really good friends, Brian and uh, Martin and and Shane Lowry. They became close friends quite quickly, actually, because they were quite symbiotic in the way that they interacted with each other. They're both guys, really good guys mm. you'd like to sit down and have a chat with yeah. over a pint, you know what I mean, that type of uh, relationship and they developed it quite quickly and worked very well for Shane because um, Bo's an intelligent, smart caddy, he read Shane's uh, sort of demeanour very, very very well on the golf course you know, within 11 months of getting together they had forged a relationship that ended up with uh, a, a claret jug uh, after you know, a terrific campaign in Roy Portrush and as well as that there were, there were other you know, fine performances cu- culminating in the win at Wentworth which was a terrific win last September where Shane hit a, a five iron to the middle of the 18th green under huge pressure 230 yards middle of the green two putted for a victory over Rory McIlroy and John Ram so I sense from the brief conversation that I had this morning or brief interaction I had this morning with his management that there's some regret on all sides about this because it is, this is not like somebody firing a caddy this is two people who have decided it's time to part for reasons which are beneficial to the relationship that they have they're friends and there comes a point where the attritional stressful nature of the caddy player relationship is such that eventually you know you have a, a relationship sort of I'm not saying this is exactly what happened but in general it can mm-hmm. happen that close friends who are player and caddy can have a sort of relationship breakdown of sorts and and maybe that's what's happened here I don't have any more intel on that uh, but I have seen on the golf course and we saw it at the Masters last April that you know Shane did give out to Bo and it was very clear mm-hmm. and it was caught yeah. on microphone and and that might have been the beginning mm. of an agitation. And I spoke to you about this uh, on the radio uh, on Saturday on, on Radio 1, that I, I'd sensed a certain agitation in Shane Lowry. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he lost all four matches in the Hero uh, match play event with uh, playing for Britain and Ireland against the continent of Europe. He then had a great position to win the Abu Dhabi Championship. You know, one shot clear the field with 13 holes to play in the final round and he didn't finish in t- inside the top 20. And then last week, from a very good position to make the cut with some ease, he took a quadruple bogey, seven, six or seven, on the the, the 34th hole of, uh, of, of, of the tournament. Uh, from nowhere, 149-yard mm. par three. Um, and then this news, which is sad, but it's, it's the way of the world in golf and you just move on and find a new caddy. Where does he find a new caddy? 
Oh, well, look, I mean, there's, uh, <laughs> there are no shortage of caddies. It's a matter of finding one that suits you, and mm-hmm. that's a tricky one. So I think uh, we very might, well might see an interim caddy, a friend of Shane's, probably on mm-hmm. the bag for a while. And then in the past, I think he's had both his manager, Brian Martin, or not Brian, Brian Moran, and also uh, actually Daryl Lernahan, who's a oh, friend yeah. of his, who's a pro, former Irish Close Amateur champion. They, he has caddied for them. They have caddied for him in the past. And that might be something which might be an interim. Who knows? 